0: You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, hello and welcome. It's wonderful to be with you today today we are looking at the life of moses this is just a one-off where we are looking at moses's life and so we're just going to delve straight in to god's word to us today so if you have a bible we are in exodus and we're in exodus chapter 2 and we're going to read from verse 11 and i will read it to you so this is what it says One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So I grew up in Devon, and one of my favorite pastimes as a teenager was shopping. And I used to love getting the bus to my nearest city, which was Exeter, sometimes going with my friends, sometimes going by myself and doing a bit of shopping. I loved going to Tammy Girl. Maybe some of you who are watching today, you remember that. And I remember one particular time where I'd been shopping and I was about to get the bus home, and I realized that I didn't have have any money left and I thought it was a bit strange because I was convinced that I'd set some money aside but no I looked everywhere and I couldn't find the money And so I was at the bus station and I approached an elderly lady who I was hoping was going to be kind to me. And indeed she was, as I asked if she would give me a 20p. And with that 20p, I took it to the phone box, shows how old I am, and uh, I phoned my dad. And bless him, my dad had to do an hour and a half round trip in order to pick me up because I had no money to get the bus home. And as you can imagine, I was upset. I was um, just apologetic to my dad. And then that night, just as I was getting ready for bed, I found in my back pocket crumpled right down a five pound note. It had been there all along. I was able to get the bus home um, and maybe even do a little bit more shopping. I was completely free to do all of those things and I just didn't know it. And so often we can live life like we are not free. We can live like we are actually, like we're slaves, When instead we have so much because we are sons and daughters of the King Most High. And here we see Moses doing exactly that. He's experienced this incredible rescue as a baby where he's been pulled out of the River Nile. When Pharaoh commanded the death of all the baby boys that they should be thrown into the river, he's been rescued and he's been pulled out of the exact same river by the most unlikely person, Pharaoh's daughter, who sees Moses crying. She's moved with compassion. And so she takes Moses in and brings him up as her own. Now, Moses, he would have wanted for nothing in the palace, So he's experienced this amazing rescue as as a baby from death. He's also experienced this incredible provision in Pharaoh's palace, living as a son of the house. Acts 7, um, Acts 7 verse 22 tells us Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. God had broken into Moses's situation and God had rescued him. He's been in the river, the river that represents death, the river that represents life without God. And God has plucked him out of death and he has saved him. Now, Moses had everything going for him. He had the resources of the kingdom. He had status, reputation, prominence, influence, leadership. He was a son of the palace with every resource of the palace available to him. And yet, what do we see? We see him living as a slave. We see him living bound and trapped, living in fear because of his own sinful wrongdoings. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. But right now in this passage, Moses is not doing that. Instead, he's retreated back into his heritage of bondage and of slavery. He's become a slave to sin. And because of that, it stopped him living a life worthy of the calling he's received for 40 whole years. And today, as we unpack this passage together, we're going to look at three signs that reveal the mark of slavery over Moses's life. So the first sign that Moses is living as a slave is that he's deliberately secretive. Slavery is deliberately secretive. Verse 12, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses found himself intentionally checking that the coast was clear in order to perform this murder. He was purposely checking that there was no one around. He's been deliberately secretive because he knows what he's doing is wrong. And he's hoping that if there's no one around to watch him do it, he will be able to get away with this murderous act. However, hiding sin is exhausting and it is all-consuming. It can eat away at us so much so that we have no passion, no energy, no focus for anything else in our lives. And we see that happening actually in King David's life. In Psalm 32, verses three to four, this is what David said. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of the summer. You see, King David, he was another person who became completely bound up in his own sin. In 2 Samuel 11 verses two to four, it tells us what David did. It says this, one evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Utah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. So David had allowed himself to make consistently sinful, deliberately secret choices. Not only does he watch another man's wife bathing that he had no, no business doing, He then goes and sends someone to find out about her and he knows her name and he knows that she's married. And then if that wasn't enough, he then goes and sends people to bring her to him so he can sleep with her. The problem is that David gets Bathsheba pregnant and now he's got even more covering up to do. So he comes up with this secret plan to kill Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So firstly, David calls Uriah back from the war where uh, he's been fighting. And he asks him, he says, oh, can you tell me how the war's going? Give me a report. And then David throws a party and he gets Uriah drunk. And his plan is that Uriah will then sleep with his wife Bathsheba and then the baby will be able to be passed off as Uriah's. The secrecy, the lies, the manipulation to cover up David's original sin is really snowballing very quickly. David's plan fails. And so he becomes so entrenched in his own sin that he decides to put Uriah back into the war. But this time he puts him on the front line of the battlefield and Uriah is killed in battle. King David gets this innocent husband killed in order to keep his secrets hidden. The road that David is prepared to walk down in order to keep his stuff secret and hidden is actually terrifying. He's become a slave to secrecy and to manipulation. And it's taken all of his energies, all of his planning, all of his headspace and... He's having to cover up one thing after another, after another, and it's having this massive snowball effect in his life. And suddenly, before he knows it, his whole life is shrouded in secrecy. By keeping his sin, his wrongdoings hidden, deliberately secret, it means that peace is not available to David whilst he's still living in that place, whilst he's still living with deception. However, David doesn't say enslave to secrecy forever. He comes to a place where he's willing to be open and honest before the Lord. Psalm 32 verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love this. What a contrast between the secrecy and deception and then the freedom that David receives as he chooses to be open and honest before the Lord. Secrecy doesn't bring forgiveness, but coming clean does. David didn't try and cover up his wrongdoings anymore, but instead he just openly confessed it all to the Lord. He's come clean. And I love this expression, coming clean. These two words, they hold so much power. They hold so much truth. Coming clean means to tell the truth about something that we've been keeping a secret, that we've kept hidden. And by doing this, David he became clean. He's no longer covered in filthy rags. He's no longer in slavery. But instead, he is clean and he is spotless and he is free in the sight of the Lord. Many of us would have heard about what has happened in Asbury in Kentucky um, a few months ago. From the beginning, um, the Asbury revival It was marked with the outpouring of humble repentance. As students and young adults, they uh, flocked to worship Jesus and to get right with him. During one of the calls of confession, at least 100 people fell to their knees and bowed at the altar. One woman, she wrote this, hands rested on shoulders, linking individual people together to represent the body of Christ. Cries of addiction, pride, fear, anger, and bitterness sounded, each followed by a life-changing proclamation. Christ forgives you. Another person wrote, from the beginning, there's been a deep brokenness as people have come to the altar, humbling themselves before God and others. Both university students and visitors to Asbury have knelt at the old wooden altar Confessing their sins, declaring their need for God, acknowledging their fears, expressing shame and admitting deep wounds. Confessing our sins and coming clean is the best thing that we can ever do. Because the minute that we do that, we are put right with Jesus. The chains, they instantly fall from us and they fall to the ground because we're no longer living as slaves anymore as we experience his freedom. So how do we become clean? Number one, we become clean as we acknowledge out loud our secret sin and we confess it to Jesus. David said to the Lord, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. There is so much power when we speak out what is binding us and causing us to live in slavery. When there is something that lives secretly in our lives, whether it's an addiction or a habitual habit or lust or pornography or bitterness or self-loathing, Steve Nicholson says that by allowing it to remain a secret, it's like putting um, food out for the rats to eat in the back alley because that's where the enemy loves that's what he feeds off of he wants to get a foothold into our lives and then bind us in that secrecy so that foothold then gets larger and larger and grows bigger and bigger and the way that we get rid of the rats is by stop putting out food for them and by making everything clean And that's what happens when we confess and we renounce the sin that we've partnered with. And as we do that, we are unbinding ourselves from it. It's like we're pulling up the airplane steps. We're removing the foothold of the enemy so he can't stay. He has to go. And that is when we experience freedom. Number two, we become clean when we could know and receive Jesus's forgiveness. David said, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, David knew in his head and he experienced in his heart the forgiveness of his God. So after we've confessed our sin and we've renounced it out loud, we then need to receive Jesus's truth and invite his forgiveness to come and to wash over us, to come and wash over every part of our lives, coming into our minds and into our bodies and into our spirit. And as he comes and as he cleans us and as he makes us new, his truth frees us from all the shame that we carry. And because of that, we can become free and we feel completely different. We feel light, we feel clean, we feel this sense of joy bubbling up within us because we can't believe what the Lord has done in our lives. Number three, we stay clean when we choose to live open lives of accountability. James 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So secrecy is what the enemy loves and it's where he lives. He can't live in the light. He can only live in the dark. To stop the rats returning, we have to stop putting out food for them. And the way we do that is by keeping short accounts with someone that we know and someone that we trust. Regularly talking to them about our temptations, our thought life, our actions, what we've said, what we've done. Because whenever we confess what is hidden in the dark and we bring it into the light, it instantly, it loses its power over us. The Holy Spirit, prayer and accountability are the most important things that we need in order to keep walking in the freedom that the Lord has given us. So the second sign that Moses is living as a slave is that he is full of fear. He's full of fear about what people think. So the second sign of slavery over Moses' life is fear. So many of us like a bit of fear if we get to experience it on our own terms. Bungee jumping, maybe skiing or roller coasters or all that kind of thing. I mean, I, I don't like any of it. <laughs> Escalators is enough for me. <laughs> However, the fear that Moses is experiencing is the kind of fear that you run away from and you don't run to. Verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So the kind of fear that Moses is suffering is, a, is really a fear of what people think. And we see Moses' fear that suddenly, oh my goodness, people now know. And we can see his panic that they know the detail of his sin. You see, that's what fear does. It causes a divide between our public life and our private lives. And we can become so fearful about what people think of us that we avoid it at all costs. However, this kind of fear is illogical. And we can see in the text that Moses feared these two sinful Hebrew men who were fighting instead of the Lord the Lord who knows precisely and intimately and with absolute perfect clarity every single aspect of Moses' heart. Isn't it crazy how the fear of what other people think can consume us so much so that we can't even think straight? Rick Warren says, fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. We are sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. That is who we are. That is our identity and that is our inheritance. And we're called to be people who press into freedom. We're called to be people who speak about the good news of Jesus, who heal the sick and who cast out demons in Jesus' name. John Wimber says, church isn't about being neat and tidy that's what the graveyard is for. Life is often found in mess. The nursery is messy and noisy, but that's where the life is. And finally, so the third sign that Moses is living as a slave, is that he runs away rather than face what he's done. So the third mark of slavery is running away. Now, I've run away from uh, many things in my life. I remember uh, being about eight or nine and packing uh, a rucksack after having an argument with my mum and going, that's it, I'm leaving home, slamming the door. And I remember kind of hiding out in the garden until it was about dinner time. And then I came home because I was hungry. And years later, I said to my mum, why didn't you come and find me? And she said, I could see you from the kitchen window. Um... I've run away from the call of preaching for a really long time, just didn't wanna do it. I've run away from the call of leadership. I've run away from relationships. I've run away during arguments. I've run away from commitment. Chuck's a very patient man. He had to wait for me to get my head sorted out before I could say, yes, I wanted to get married. And we got engaged. You see, we all run away from things. The question is, how long does it take us to come back and deal with what we've run from? Moses didn't only run away, he moved somewhere else. He moved his entire life in Midian, to Midian. He, he came and he found a whole completely different land. He then got married there. He had children there. He worked there. That's pretty big. I would say that's called running away good and proper. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now, we might think, well, good for you, Moses. Good for you running away from Pharaoh. Well done for creating this whole new life for yourself. Now you're certain to be happy. But as we can see, Moses was anything but happy. It was anything but good for Moses because he felt the pain of running away acutely. In verse 22, it says, Zipporah, Moses' wife, gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. You see, when we run from things, it doesn't just affect us, it also affects those around us as well. And for Moses, that's his wife, that's his family, that's his poor son who he's given this awful name to, Gershom, which means a foreigner in a foreign land. But also, there's the bigger picture to consider as well. Because Moses fled from Egypt, it took another 40 whole years for the Israelites to be free from the oppression of slavery. Moses eventually returned to Egypt 40 long years after he first fled from Pharaoh. Many of us run from things we don't want to deal with. That's not what makes us a slave. It's when we don't return. It's when we don't come back and deal with what we've run from. That's then, that's what then causes us to be in slavery. Because we're not free people. Instead, we're living our lives in the wilderness, carrying with us the pain and the burdens of everything that we've run from. Returning instead of running is the only way the chains of slavery will fall from us. And you know what, we can do that at any point, at any point in our lives, wherever we are at, however far, however long it's been, however deep, however painful, however complex the situation might feel, we don't have to allow it to continue. We can stop at any point and turn and face it head on. And when we do, we can experience freedom that only Jesus can bring. I'll end with this. There is a verse in the book of Song of Songs, and it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? I just love this picture. What a beautiful image of us, of us coming up out of Midian, out of the desert, out of slavery, leaning on our beloved Jesus. Why don't we pray? Come Holy Spirit. We invite you into every heart that is watching this. Would you come and would you show us areas in our life where we are trapped, where we're living as slaves, And would you highlight those things to us, Lord? Because we don't wanna live like that anymore. We wanna be free, we wanna live as free people. We wanna live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. We wanna live a life full for you. And Jesus, I pray for anyone that is watching today, that you would help them to have the courage to speak out and to um, renounce and to experience the freedom that only you can bring into specific situations in, in each and every life. That you would pour your Holy Spirit in, that you would make us clean and you would bring freedom to us. And I pray specifically for people now who feel like they are trapped and they will never experience freedom. Jesus, would you come and meet with them right now? Would your spirit fill that place wherever they're watching and fill their hearts and their bodies and their minds? And would you release them now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.